Oh, hey, everyone. Uh, this is me, Mallory. Uh, you're listening to Cinema 5000, my podcast where I tell you about films I have recently seen, and uh, I tell you what I thought of them. <laughs> uh, I hope everybody's having a great summer. Um, movie-wise for summer, I have mixed things up a bit with what I've been seeing. Uh, this entire episode is just movies I've seen from home. I didn't get to the theater at all yet this July. I know in the last episode I had talked about possibly going to, well not possibly, it was like a thing I was going to do, uh, the Regal Cinema's mystery movie that they had on Monday the 10th of July, Uh, but I didn't actually end up going. (laughs) Uh, And it turns out I was absolutely right in my prediction of it being the A24 film Talk to Me, which is a horror film. Um, and I had two reasons for why I didn't go. Now I bought a ticket. I was fully intending to go, but then someone, I read a message about online, like they were talking, we were having a little back and forth conversation. Um, this person told me that they speculated it could be talk to me, but they also speculated it could be the R rated dog comedy strays, which I have zero interest in seeing. So I was a little like, oh God, what if it is strays? What if I make the effort to go? And it's that. But I was like, well, you know, how much effort do I have to make? It's just getting the car to the theater, whatever. But then we had really epic, heavy rain happening on Monday. Um, At times it was really, really bad. Um, And then at times it was just fine. But um, other parts of like New England were just ravaged by the rains like roads washed away and such really bad um i'm being dramatic about how much rain we got especially compared to those people uh i feel so bad for them especially in vermont like really really bad um but i i just was not in the mood to go i was like okay what if it strays and then it's crummy out but i did make a point to watch a movie at home that night anyway so we'll talk about it (laughs) um (laughs) But yeah, so haven't been to the theater, just been watching stuff at home, been catching up on things. Right now we're at 5,245 movies marked as watched on Letterboxd. That's a lot. Been finding some things here and there that I have seen. Um, I, a weird thing, like I'm, I'm coming across movies that I was like, I'm sure, I'm sure I've seen this, but have I seen it or did I fall asleep? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I actually watched a movie that I'm pretty sure I saw like at least half of, but then when watching it, I remembered certain elements. So that movie is just going to go on the rewatch recap episode for the next time we do that. And when's that going to be? Oh, it's going to be beginning of October. (laughs) Um, So if you want to know what that movie is, it's the only movie I've rewatched so far this month uh, in July. Uh, You can check that out on my Letterboxd account. It's just Mallory with three M's. Um, I do believe that's linked in the uh, podcast episodes profiles you know if you ever want to look that up and sort of follow along I don't know how many of you are doing that but uh you can follow me uh and just you know read what I'm watching I occasionally write little reviews on Litterboxd if I feel like it sometimes I don't because I'm just like nah this is just what it is and maybe I'm going to bed or something like that after watching the movie but uh yeah so that's 5,245. That's a lot of movies. Uh, it says I've watched or logged at least 156 this year. Jeez, that's a lot. Um, but that's not all. 
no movies. I mean, like we're halfway through the year now. Uh, halfway through the year, I uh, I don't do anything special, but I think the next episode's going to be a little bit different. Um, just because the next episode could fall, it could very well fall close to the time that I see a certain movie and then another certain movie. So I don't want to, I don't want to do an episode and talk about those movies. <laughs> so, uh, who knows? I, I might get my stuff together and do something fun for the next episode next week. And if I don't, you'll just have to wait, uh, for whatever hot new films I see in theaters. You can probably guess what those are going to be and why I'm going to see them. Uh, but let's, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about what I have seen. <laughs> I will say the summer like hitting me is like being partially over, even though we're barely two weeks in, no, no, sorry. I'm three weeks into summer. I can't count. I don't know what day it is, <laughs> but, um, in my second job, I've been putting away school supplies and it's the most depressing thing. Like you're like nice hot summer day. And then yesterday the smell of crayons like made me want to puke, <laughs> but, um, enough about my life. Um, let's talk about what I've been watching. So on the 1st of July, I ended up watching Master Gardener from 2020, eh, technically 2023, it says 2022, uh, directed by Paul Schrader. I do believe it was at a film festival in 2022. That's what often happens with films. It does not have a tagline, but the summary goes like this. Narvel Roth is a meticulous horticulturalist who is devoted to tending the grounds of a beautiful estate and pandering to his employer, the wealthy dowager, Mrs. Haverhill. When she demands that he take on her wayward and troubled great-niece, it locks dark secrets from a buried, violent past. Uh, not too much. <laughs> not too much about this film is um, unfamiliar. If you are familiar with the films of Paul Schrader, our writer-director here, he, uh, he's uh, portraying a man who uh, has secrets, has a past, has a notebook, likes to write in it, and then uh, has to bump heads with some unsavory figures. <laughs> I I try to make a point not to spoil movies that are a bit newer in case you want to check them out. Like anything older than like 20 years, I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail about them depending on how good or bad they are. If they're bad, I talk a lot. But this one, I mean, this is Paul Schrader, the man who brought us Taxi Driver, Light Sleeper, uh, American Gigolo, uh, First Reformed. You know, he's a, <laughs> and recently the card counter, he's, he's just, he's just doing what Paul Schrader does, which is these men, like I said, with their notebooks who have things that they have to deal with in certain ways that they are capable of. Um, yeah, no surprises here. It stars Joel Edgerton as Narvel Roth, which is a, it's an odd name. Uh, and then we have Sigourney Weaver as Mrs. Haverhill. Uh, she's a, she's a character in this one. Um, I have to say the thing that stuck out to me the most, besides all the things I kind of expected and was not surprised by, she has some exquisite wallpaper in her house <laughs> that I believe was, um, was a jellyfish. Yeah. Or was it octopuses? I, I can't recall one of those, but it was like really interesting and like a, quite a choice for production design. Um, <laughs> I think it was to sort of give you an idea of like, there's a little more going on here in this story than you might assume. Though, frankly, for me, it was just kind of no real surprises. And I didn't find the ending very satisfying in this and what it concluded about Narvel and 
the character uh, that he does encounter um, Maya, who is played by Quintessa Swindle. Uh, she was fine. I think most of the performances in this are fine, but I just, I just was really not, not into this. I preferred uh, Paul Schrader's more recent film, The Card Counter, with Oscar Isaac playing another individual with a past. <laughs> um, this one, I mean, it's it might just be that I'm not a Joel Edgerton fan. But I just found this to be a bit of a, I don't want to say it was a chore, but because there were no surprises, it kind of felt that way. Like I was just kind of going through the motions again of something that I had an idea of where it was going to go. And it, it went that direction. So I don't have much else to say about Master Gardener, directed by uh, Paul Schrader, which, you know, if you're a fan of Joel Edgerton, you'll probably like. If you're a Paul Schrader devotee, you'll absolutely like. But uh yeah, I can't, I just can't quite recommend it. Like, I wish this was a movie I could tell my parents to watch because they like, they like dark dramas that aren't too heavy. And this has some shades of heaviness, but it isn't, it doesn't really lay it on thick or anything. It's like, it's present, but it's not anything to dwell on. I don't know. Uh, it just, yeah. I mean, some of the gardening looked nice, I guess. <laughs> um Another not so satisfying film <laughs> um, from 1992, directed by Ralph Bakshi. It's a uh, Cool World, the infamous Cool World. The tagline is Hollywood, if she could, and she will. A bizarre, in excuse me, a bizarre accident lands Frank Harris in Cool World, a realm of cartoons. Years later, cartoonist Jack Deebs, who's been drawing Cool World, crosses over as well. He sets his lustful sights on animated femme fatale Holly Wood, and she's got plans of her own to become real, and it's up to Frank to stop her. Okay, what a mess of a film. Absolutely zany, crazy, but also, it's so weird. For the 90s, for like 1992, this was like absolutely like ex exactly what I expected it to be. I first came, became familiar with this movie, like, as a kid. I didn't have cable or anything like that, but the video store I used to go to when I was really little, um, in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York, had, like, a standee that is pretty much the poster for this with uh, Brad Pitt and then Hollywood um, putting her hand on his chest and her hand, other hand on her hip and sort of doing a pose like she's Marilyn Monroe. Um, they had like a standee of that. And I remember seeing it and being like, what the heck is this? And like seeing the rating and be like, oh, well, it's not for me. I'm just a kid. Um, and then I never like ever saw Cool World and I've never heard anything good about it either. It's just a movie that has like all these ideas of craziness and animation and how extreme um back she goes with um just the the character design character design some of the humor i guess too um i know i'm not familiar with his work as most people are like you say his name and they're like oh yeah that dude um but for me it just felt like there was all this intention to show what we can do with animation and creation in this movie but then the story is like totally not relevant whatsoever to whatever's going on here. It's a big mess. It's a very big inco incoherent mess. And it's also really long for what it is. This could have been like 85 minutes and been totally successful. But instead, we get all these uh, other animated characters and little worlds that we just didn't really need. Like the balance of having Holly's uh, attempts at trying to become real. And then Brad Pitt's character, as well as Gabriel Byrne's character, Jack, it just doesn't make... 
it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Like you're watching a movie sometimes that your brain will go, well, why is this happening? And then you sort of lose what's going on. The balance of where we add these characters into this plot and whatever's going on, it's just, it's, it's incoherent. It's not structured well. And it didn't even really need a lot of twerk tweaking to make that work. <laughs> like they, these two male characters, um, Jack and Frank, like could have like, could have worked together. And that doesn't really happen. I don't know. Cool world's just not that cool. <laughs> um, it is from 1992. And uh, it's, uh, I guess, maybe is it streaming anywhere? It probably is. I'm not saying you should see it. But um, maybe if like, you're interested in whatever, <laughs> whatever wackiness the 90s had to hold uh, for, uh, you know, animation that's rated PG-13 in a feature film, you know, at that rate, maybe watch it. I don't know. Cool world. That's two stars <laughs> uh, from, from 1992. That's all I got to say about it. But let's get even worse on the movie scale. Uh, this is Pray for Rock and Roll from 2003, directed by Alex Steiermark. For these girls, it's all about survival. Pray for Rock and Roll is set in the Los Angeles club scene in the late 1980s and follows the story of Jackie and her all-girl punk rock band, Clam Dandy. <laughs> On the verge of turning 40, Jackie decides that if the band's one last shot at the big time is unsuccessful, she will give up her dreams of stardom. Along the way, the women rocked are rocked by personal tragedies, that threaten to break up the band before they can get their last shot at success. What a miserable film. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, this stars Gina Gershon. Like, okay, recognizable names here. Gina Gershon, Drea DiMatteo, Lori Pe Petty, uh, <laughs> Shelley Cole, and Mark Lucas. Like, people that you have seen in a number of things and are like, oh, yeah, I know who they are. And, like, Drea DiMatteo. I mean, she was at the throes of doing, like, The Sopranos, right, in this time period of the early 2000s. Lori Petty, I mean, she's Tank Girl. She's also in A League of Their Own. She's been in a ton of movies, like... Oh gosh, Point Break, like lots of stuff. Um, I I found this movie to be extremely bad um, for a number of reasons, um, and it's really too bad that it just was. It was so bad. Uh, the storytelling of how we meet these characters is really basic. Like it's just they're in a band, and you know, the couple of the girls. Um, have relationships together like outside of being platonic and they're just having a good time but then it's like oh the music yeah um and then the men in the movie are all trash and then something happens um to one of the ladies of the band and it's it's handled so poorly in its execution of how terrible this thing is that happens um, and how the lead character, Gina Gershon, Jackie, like how she deals with it is, um, is not really great. Uh, let's just say somebody is like brutally attacked and it's by someone that this, the women in the band know <sighs> just the way this movie portrays like domestic, uh, violence and things that are brutalizing women is like so amateur and, bad like the imagine like the worst portrayal of somebody being brutally attacked in a tv show and then put it in a movie and it's it's still worse than that um it's just such a badly made film 
and I hate saying it's badly made because Gina Gershon is like doing her best in this movie. And it feels like a project that was made between people where it's like, hey, I want to make this movie. I want to get this done and tell the story. And like Gina Gershon produced it. So it's like not surprising to me at all that like she's all in, she's committed to the role and she, she is believable as a rock star. In fact, I would say all the girls in the band are believable in their roles. But when it comes down to the storytelling and how it portrays their world and Los Angeles and these bad guys, it's just, it's painful to watch. And the brutal thing that happens to this one character is not even the only brutal thing that happens. Um, Somebody dies in this movie and you see them getting killed in slow motion and then it just cuts to a funeral and you don't exactly know that the person died until like probably 30 seconds into whatever's going on at this funeral because the camera is like panning around it's like it would have been so much more effective for like if you had just a scene of somebody on the phone like oh my god so and so died and then you get the reaction and then you cut to the funeral but the transition is just absolutely horrible and so ill-conceived it was shocking. Um, so sometimes when I watch a movie that's like so bad, I can't believe how bad it is on DVD because I got this from Netflix. It was a movie that was in my queue for a really, really long time because I had heard of this uh, back when it was coming out on VHS. Um, I might have seen like Gina Gershon on like E or Entertainment Tonight or something talking about the movie. Um, so I knew this was like a thing and I used to work at a video store when I was a teenager. So it was like on the poster of like movies that we're going to get. And then we never got it. So <laughs> I was never able to see the movie. And then a long, long time ago, I put it in my Netflix DVD queue and it just sat there and sat there. And now with me trying to watch movies that I have never seen that are only available on Netflix streaming, this is not on streaming anywhere. So it was like I have to watch this movie. And I just feel bad like saying this is a bad movie because the parts of it that work are the parts that are just not, not bad. Gina Gershon, like showing up and really committing to the part. Drea DiMatteo, like as much as her part isn't so great, she's still good in this. And like Lori Petty, um, I wish she was in this movie so much more, <laughs> but I, uh, I cannot recommend Pray for rock and roll. It just, it disappointed me so much. And it's so strange seeing a movie this made this way, like really low budget and not good at all. Um, but at least compared to movies today that come out on like streaming that may not look so great, this one actually had lighting. That was the absolute crazy thing to me because um, <laughs> these these women play in a club and then they have their uh, rehearsal space. And it's all lit. Like somebody took the time to <laughs> light this movie and movies today. If this was made today, um, it might not be as horrible, but it would be badly lit. Like really bad darkness. Oh man. I wished I liked Pray from Rock and Roll from 2003, directed by Alex Steyermark. It just, it really like pissed me off, like how dissatisfying this movie was. And it should have been better. Oh, man. Uh, it was also was really long for what it was. It was 104 minutes. This, again, could have been like a 90-minute movie. One of those movies that you just know that the editor was not doing their job and thinking about the audience. Like, some scenes just go on too long. Some bits and people in this movie did not need to be in this movie. Like, Lori Petty um, in the film plays a... 
she plays a music teacher and she has this student that shows up a couple times and that character absolutely should have been axed like didn't need it like why is this character in this movie oh man it's bad I gave it one and a half stars and those one and a half stars are like all for the ladies that I gave props to but <laughs> but no it's not good it's so bad oh man I hate saying it was bad too but let's move on something good something I did enjoy quite a bit it's the documentary Rock Hudson All That Heaven Allowed from 2023 directed by Stephen Kajak behind the screen beyond the secrets this timely exploration of Hollywood and LGBTQ plus identity examines the life of legendary actor Rock Hudson from his public ladies man persona to his private life as a gay man gotta recommend this one this was a really satisfying documentary that talks about the hollywood system and actors who are closeted specifically rock hudson who was a man who from all appearances was like the perfect image of the masculine male in hollywood films and on tv but outside of that he was this man who was gay who had lovers who enjoyed his life. And I'm very thankful that this movie took the time to really portray him through the eyes of people who knew him best. I I don't like it when a documentary relies too heavily on people who didn't know the person. So this one really was like, this is like his friend, his lovers, the people who knew him. Um, and it does a really good job of talking about Hollywood um, and the studio system, how so many actors were not allowed to really be who they were in the tabloids. They were doing something else. Like Rock Hudson got married to this woman. And then later, of course, they got divorced. Um, <laughs> but some of this stuff still happens today. That's the crazy thing. There's so much control and just the idea of like, you have to have this image. You have to look this certain way. Um, and it is really too bad that we lost Rock Hudson before he even hit his 60s. I think he passed away when he was 59. Um, but it's a it's a really enlightening and enjoyable documentary. It talks a lot about his work and how he was as an actor and also how he got his beginnings and how certain actors like him. Also, the lengths they went, went basically to make sure that they could still get work in Hollywood. Um in coinciding with this, there's a documentary about Tab Hunter, which I think is called Tab Hunter Confidential. The things they maybe had in common, but also the contrast between these two men and their lives. And if they were both gay actors working in Hollywood, how were things for them? Uh, another documentary that I watched, oh gosh, not too long ago, uh, which was like, what was it Scotty and the something, something I'm going to look it up really quick. Cause that was an interesting documentary. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm not going to be able to find it. Am I hold on? Let's look it up. So tap, it is called tab hunter confidential. I would recommend that. Um, where is it? Okay. Scotty and the secret history of Hollywood. That one's a little more salacious and also from the perspective of Scotty, but he was a man who basically helped people find partners and, um, satisfaction in Hollywood. These are all on streaming. You can find them all. Um, I'm actually thinking I'm going to go back and watch Tab Hunter Confidential again to really, uh, understand his, perspective a little more, especially since I've just seen the Rock Hudson one. Um, but 
they're all good documentaries. I think the Scotty one I gave two and a half stars actually, because I, I don't know. As a documentary, as it's making, um, it maybe needed a little more, but it wasn't like bad as far as how it explored the secret side of Hollywood in its subject matter. Um, but I do recommend Tab, uh, yes, Tab Hunter Confidential and Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed. I haven't seen many Rock Hudson films. I haven't seen Giant. That was the one that was like, oh, the big one I haven't seen that he's done. Uh, and I have seen All That Heaven Allows, which I really, really liked. Uh, he's also in the movie Second, which is brought up. And I, I've i got to watch that one. I, I want to, yeah, I want to get into his work because I'm just not familiar enough with it. But at the same time, like I said, I really enjoyed the documentary. Thankfully, it's one of those documentaries where it's so good, it makes you want to explore the subject more. So I gave it three and a half stars. I know this is available on Max, formerly HBO Max, um, and you can watch that today. It's available on that. Um, I would recommend it. And Max in general, I mean, HBO Max, Max. For all the controversy and things going on with that and whatever they're doing as far as removing stuff, um, they still have a lot of really excellent classic films, foreign films from, gosh, the 40s, the 50s, and 60s. So, I mean, if you're going to sign up for Max to watch this, believe me, if you're into, like, watching older films as well, you've got plenty to check out on there. So, as I said, Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed, I gave it three and a half stars from Stephen Kajak, Kajak. Um, <laughs> and it's a it's an enjoyable documentary for, for the first movie so far on the podcast that really earned its runtime, let's just say that. <laughs> something very different. Uh, it's Prince of Broadway from 2008, directed by Sean Baker. The tagline is, it's a hard knock life, or excuse me, it's a hard knockoff life. <laughs> How did I read that right? A New York street hustler specializing in name brand knockoffs finds his highly profitable game suddenly complicated when his ex-girlfriend shows up toting the son he never knew he had. I liked this movie. Uh, it's it's pretty enjoyable. And uh, it's from Sean Baker, so it's a slice of life kind of story. Uh, the characters all seem like real people, and they are very much of their environment. New York City. <laughs> if I told you this was like, you know, uh, Canal Street, you know, Canal Street cinema, it basically is. <laughs> But uh, I had a good time. I had a good time watching this. Uh, Prince Adu plays Lucky, the main character, who's this guy who's this, you know, hustler. Like, they're selling the fake bags. They're selling the, the fake stuff, you know. And this poor little baby, oh, my God, thrown in the middle of this situation. It's a really simple story, but I found it pretty enjoyable. Sadly, though, it is not streaming anywhere. This was another movie I got from Netflix DVD. It gave it three stars. I, uh, I don't have much else to say about it other than as far as Sean Baker's work, you know, this is good. This is right up his alley with talking about these people from areas you just don't really see on film, like the characters who are just trying to get by. And this guy has no idea how to take care of this little baby whether it's his or not, he he comes to terms with the fact that this little baby needs to get taken care of. And this if this ex-girlfriend isn't going to take care of it, then he's got to do it because, you know, the baby needs the baby needs somebody. And uh, that poor baby. <laughs> but I mean, it has it has a happy ending. I'll give it that. Uh, and it did remind me of the Dardenne film, the Dardenne Brothers film, uh, Le Enfant, which is about another baby in a situation that's not so great. 
Um, this is not, Sean Baker's film is not as very Dardenne-y, you know? If you've seen the Dardenne brothers in their films, oh my gosh, heartbreaking. <laughs> this is this is more up Sean Baker's alley, where we see these characters in their uh, lives, and, you know, it does give an air of intensity that we just are just like, oh God, oh God, something could go really bad here, but maybe it doesn't. So Prince of Broadway from 2008, directed by Sean Baker. I want to say I read something somewhere a while ago that said that this was potentially a movie that could be added to the Criterion Collection. That's what I want to say. I wouldn't be surprised if like Criterion like just took Sean Baker's movies and just put them in a box set or something like that, because he's a filmmaker that's kind of Kind of up their alley, but let's let's, let's change subjects. <laughs> Going back to the 90s, to 1995, to the film Forget Paris, directed by Billy Crystal. <laughs> this was a movie I have, I have seen, like, the beginning of a couple times when it was just on cable. Like, maybe the first five minutes. Nothing major. I'm not a big Billy Crystal fan. Like, I mean, everybody loves When Harry Met Sally, and he's he's good in most things he does, but I'm not like, oh, Billy Crystal, yeah, I'll watch movies he makes. Um, <laughs> this one doesn't have a tagline, uh, but the summary is this. Mickey Gordon is a basketball referee who travels to France to bury his father. Ellen Andrews is an American living in Paris who works for the airline he flies on. They meet and fall in love, but their relationship goes through many difficult patches. So, this is like from the perspective of these people going to dinner and they're talking about Billy Crystal's character, Mickey. And, oh my God, Mickey and Ellen, they've got this story and this thing happened to them and this and that. So we're learning about them as their relationship progressed. Um, it's told from these different pers perspectives, like sort of commenting on, but not like truly from those different perspectives. Um, it, this movie really like wants to be funny. <laughs> But it's not always very funny. <laughs> um, it, it wants to be charming. It is occasionally charming. It's a movie that feels very dated. But um, I will say, if I'm watching a movie from the 90s and it has datedness to it, I appreciate that. I want to embrace those things that we don't get in cinema anymore. Like, this movie would not be made today. And the person who would probably make a version of something like this is, unfortunately... Mr. Mr. Allen, uh, Woody Allen. So, uh, nobody's going to want to see it, but, um, I appreciate what Billy Crystal was going for here. He wanted to tell a story about these two people who are a little older. They're not in their twenties. They're in their, well, I guess technically they were saying that they were in their late thirties and early forties, but Billy Crystal, I think was in his fifties when this came out, but, uh, <laughs> the basketball stuff is done. Okay. It's, it's like, you, you got like Patrick Ewing in this movie. Who else was in this? God, like a bunch of recognizable uh, basketball players. Oh, was Charles ba Charles Barkley was in this too? Oh, wait, here I'm seeing the cast of the people who were in it. <laughs> yes, Patrick Ewing. Yes, Charles Barkley, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tim Hardaway, Reggie Miller. Like all those 90s basketball stars. I'm sure that was wonderful to get them all and be like, yes, I got them in my movie. Um, <laughs> but Deborah Winger plays uh, Ellen Andrews, and she's doing a lot of work here in this movie. <laughs> um, but she's great. She's really a great actress. I like seeing her in movies. It's such a shame she's not in a lot of movies these days. Um, if she was just in anything, I'd go see it. Uh, but I don't think they had bad chemistry, but something about this just doesn't, it doesn't quite work. And I think it's the humor that Billy Crystal wants to inject in the film. It's like that cheeky humor where he just like 
does a thing and it's like, oh my God, you jerk. But then he smiles like, hey, I'm, I'm still me. I'm still funny, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there is a sequence in this movie where it wants you to think about uh, Billy Crystal's uh, quote unquote swimmers, if you get what I mean. Um, and it's just very overdone and like trying to be cheeky and fun. But I just was at that point in the movie a little tired of him. I know this is going to work for some people, though. It has some charm to it. It really tries hard. It's it's not trying to be a hateful comedy. It's not trying to be too cynical. It's just trying to have fun and enjoy these people, but also be like, yeah, shit happens sometimes when people have relationships. But I gave Forget Paris two and a half stars. Like, obviously, I could have watched something way worse. And I have discussed worse movies on this episode so far. Um, but I it just didn't. It just didn't quite hit the buzzer, if you know what I mean, for me. Um, but it has an all-star cast. I'll tell you who's in this besides Billy Crystal and Debo Ring- Winger. It's uh, Joe Montaigne, Cynthia Stevenson, Richard Mazar, Julie Kav- Kavner, uh, John Spencer, and, uh, as I mentioned, basketball players. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, two and a half stars for Forget Paris. I did watch that one on Canopy, which, if you haven't heard of Canopy and you have a library card, chances are your library might have digital services like Canopy to use, so I would recommend it. Uh, I found myself on, I think it was Saturday night, yeah, like on a Saturday night, just kind of in the mood for a certain kind of movie. Like, I was like, I want a New York City comedy because whatever was going on in Forget Paris was not satisfying as far as Paris, and I just wanted like a city comedy, something maybe 80s, and something with like characters that I want to watch. So I got online and I think I just literally Googled New York City comedy 1980s. (laughs) Um, And I found something that didn't have the best ratings, but I was like, I got to give this a shot. I watched Who's That Girl from 1987, directed by James Foley. Tagline is, a funny thing happened on the way to the bus station. An uptight New York tax lawyer gets his life turned upside down all in a single day, when he's asked to escort a feisty and free-spirited female ex-convict whom asks him to help prove her innocence of her crime. This stars Madonna as that woman. (laughs) Uh, I've heard of this movie. I just, its existence has kind of like gone over the head of me. I I mean, I I was a baby toddler, whatever, when this came out. And so uh, as like the 90s went on, you know, Madonna made more movies. She did Body of Evidence, as terrible as that is. She did Evita, which love it or hate it. Um, she's she's good in, come on now. Um, <laughs> and then she did crap like the next be- best thing, which was terrible. This is not, this is not great. This is not bad. I uh, I found myself enjoying this. It also helps that uh, Madonna, who plays Nikki, has a very good screen partner that she plays off of. She plays off of Griffin Dunn, who plays the character Loudon Trot, who is this tax lawyer who's supposed to be getting married to this very rich woman and be part of her family, the Worthingtons. Um, <laughs> but then, obviously, as movies go... Nikki comes into his life and she ruins everything and it's all for the best because they get together in the end, (laughs) which you knew was going to happen. Come on. Um, But Griffin Dunn and Madonna have like really good screen chemistry. Like he looks at her and she looks at him and you're like, this is why these two are in this movie together. They play off each other so well. I was 
really shocked, frankly, <laughs> just because everything I read up to before I saw the movie was like, oh, Madonna's not great in this. It's a little silly. And yeah, it's very silly. It is a very goofy 80s comedy that I'm frankly shocked I never saw because I feel like just you say 80s comedy and it's just like, how ridiculous can you imagine it? Like this came out the same year as Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> um and I just think of like all these movies where like, you know, people how if it's a New York movie, like what do people do? They drive through like a, a fruit stand or something like that, which I'm not completely sure did or didn't happen in this movie. But it also has like a mountain lion that is a part of the story. And uh, the bad guys who are following Madonna around because they know she's gotten out of prison and she uh, says she didn't kill her boyfriend. But <laughs> uh she she's got evidence she says so it's all a matter of like how we're gonna help this gal with this dude and then why on earth i I don't think they necessarily did they explain it i think they explained it a little bit about why uh the family that loudon's going to be marrying into why the uh the main the 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 father mr worthington they they, i think they explained it this movie was like so goofy it's like almost there's no like applying any kind of logic to it and why things happen but i know they explained at some point why loudon had to get madonna to the bus station and get her out of town maybe it was for her safety i can't remember regardless this is a very goofy silly movie that is supposed to take place in new york city is occasionally shot in california but it's distracting but also not because the movie's ridiculous um (laughs) i don't quite recommend it though (laughs) i gave it two and a half stars it just isn't it doesn't really come through at the end for all the bits that i found so charming and fun it is very ridiculous it is very insane and it's just too bad to me that i for me, at least, when I read the IMDb trivia, it was like, there was a bit about how Madonna saw the director, like, in public, James Foley, and, like, she was like, oh, yeah, the movie's bad, isn't it? And it's just like, oh, come on. In some respect, it is, you know, just ridiculous and bad, but also, I I can't, like, I can't say this movie's bad, <laughs> because I got so much out of it, and it was fun, and I think that's all that matters, you know? It isn't going to work for everybody, which is why I can't give it three stars, but I give it two and a half because it just, it has something going for it, at least. It's not a total wash. I would never give this a one star rating at any point, especially since Madonna, as this character, she commits to the bit like 1000%. She's trying to be cheeky and fun, um, makes, she, you know, she does a, she does a voice. Let's say that she's not playing hi, I'm Madonna. She's like, hi, I'm Madonna. It's like, she's, she's having a good time and you might love it. You might hate it, but I, it worked for me. Who's that girl from 1987 directed by James Foley and eighties. So let's talk eighties for a second. Uh, when I was growing up, I was like vaguely aware of the band Wham. I didn't really understand them. I thought they just had like one song. Um, but I was very familiar with George Michael and I think it's cause one of my sisters really likes George Michael. So when George Michael had his like ladies and gentlemen, the very best of George Michael collection come out, it was like, that was rotation in the car with my sister whenever she drove places. Cause I didn't have a license. So I go places with her, but yeah, I love George Michael grew up loving George Michael's music. Um, obviously he has passed and that makes me very sad. Uh, but I, I've just been such a fan of him. So when the documentary 
of Wham! was announced as being added to Netflix. Um, I'm not a Netflix fan, but I still have access to a login. Um, I was kind of like, okay, is this going to be a documentary that's like 10% Wham! and then 90% George Michael? Luckily, it is not that. This is a very good documentary. Uh, It does not have a tagline, but the summary is this. Through archival interviews and footage... George Michael and Andrew Ridgely relive the the arc of their Wham! career from the 70s best buds to 80s pop icons. This is directed by Chris Smith, and as I said, you can watch it on Netflix. It's only 92 minutes. It's a a documentary that left me wanting a little more, frankly. But it talked about the beginnings of George Michael and his... (laughs) I'm not going to repeat his, like, full real name, but they explain it at the beginning of the film. And it was so interesting. Um... I said it was very good, but I mean very good in the sense of it was satisfying the level of like, hey, it showed me something I was not expecting it to, which was really talking about how these two guys got together and they were friends. And it was so interesting because George Michael talked about in the beginning of the film how he looked at his friend Andrew Ridgely as like this perfect like specimen of a guy that was like, oh my God, he's so cool and hot and like everybody likes him. I want to be like him. And... I just would never never have guessed that. Like, he had that perspective about this guy when, to me, obviously, he was more, fa- a f- more I don't want to say more of a fan, but just more familiar with George Michael in the 80s and 90s. Like, I would have assumed that George Michael would have just been, like, the most confident guy in the room his entire life and just thought he was, like, so beautiful and be like, yeah, I look great. I'm awesome. But no, um, so interesting to see these two men talk about how they grew up together and how they became friends. And then they started to make music and they really talk about how their music like was sort of created and where like originated. But the thing that I found very interesting above all these other things was how much George Michael was like, I want to be famous. I want to be an amazing pop star. I want a number one record. (laughs) Um, And then the movie ends (laughs) because it talks about wham this is about wham so don't go into this movie at all thinking this is like the george michael story that's not what this is this is about 90 minutes of wham and their music and the beginnings of who george michael became from this humble young man to then this big mega pop star but like i said i really enjoyed this the music is fun the documentary is fun like the perspective, like the editing, good time. I gave it three stars. Maybe I should give it three and a half. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would definitely watch it again, too. It's one of those movies that serves the music well, too, with uh, the stylings of it. It doesn't like, It doesn't feel flat. Like, it's, it, believe me, it's very possible to make a documentary that does not match the music and the musicians it's about. But I think this does a good job of that, and it's a breezy, fun movie, and uh I think I read that the way they did this was that Andrew Ridgely basically played off of questions now since George Michael has passed that George Michael did in an interview and then sort of added his own take on those uh, questions that were asked. And then they put it together in this documentary, which is so, so creative. Um, I'm not saying I know whether or not other documentaries have done that, but to me, knowing that is, uh, is good. I think that's a good idea. So wham! From 2023, directed by Chris Smith. The documentary, Wham! That is, uh, you can find it on Netflix. And (laughs) now, let's talk about the movie you all want to hear me talk about. It's Plain from 2023, directed by Jean-Francois Rocher. The tagline is, survive together 
or die alone. After her a heroic job of successfully landing his storm-damaged aircraft in a war zone, a fearless pilot finds himself between the agendas of multiple militias planning to take the plane and its passengers hostage. So plain. <laughs> uh, guys, okay, so I decided to watch Plain because my library had a copy of it on DVD. So when I didn't go to the Regal Mystery Movie on the Monday night, I figured, well, I might as well sit down and watch Plain. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about Plain. Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler, he plays our pilot in question, Brody Torrance, yeah, his name's Brody, sure. Um, Brody Torrance uh, successfully lands the plane, as I said, uh, from that summary. When they experience very bad turbulence in the storm, I believe they got struck by lightning, and it basically fried uh, a lot of the electricity on the plane, which is very scary. Uh, I think for the most part, this movie is is done well on the plane, when it comes to that conflict. And then when they land, that's where it gets a little dicey. So they land somewhere in the Fili the Philippines on an island that, uh, uh, let's just say it's occupied by a lot of bad guys, which is uh, questionable, questionable content here. Um, <laughs> so what's he going to do? So they land and uh, they realize basically they're all going to be taken hostage and maybe people are going to get murdered. So Gerard Butler... As Brody, in all his wisdom, he runs off to try to find somewhere to make a phone call. He uh, he does get in contact with some people um, and is uh, trying to figure out how do I get rescued, all while in like some kind of war room where they're trying to <laughs> figure out how to handle this missing plane mystery because on the TV it's just, oh, the plane's missing. But they end up finding out where the plane is. Thank you, satellites. Um... <laughs> Um, we have this, uh, issue of basically, uh, yeah, people who are, uh, going to keep people hostage and maybe kill them because that's what they do. That's what they, yeah, they, they find evidence. Brody finds evidence that maybe, uh, maybe uh, they won't survive. Uh, they will be used and handled up for a ransom, basically. All while this is happening, uh, there is also a man on the plane who, uh, is a is a criminal he was being extradited now we know from <laughs> we know from discussions in the movies that this guy has killed somebody before so he's probably really dangerous but what what ends up happening is uh brody torrance <laughs> gets with the character who i think is uh is he louis gasper uh the character's name yeah he's played by mike coulter they're both on the um poster and the dvd shall i say he doesn't have much of a part but he becomes a crucial like let's go off and do this what do you say bud kind of thing where uh brody <laughs> and lewis go off and they uh they they both have guns and they're ready to do what they can <laughs> um to try to uh help the situation it's it this conflict reminded me so much of the I mean it doesn't have much to do with it but it reminded me of the Rambo movie from like what like 2011 2012 that Sylvester Stallone did that was really bad um it's maybe shot just a little bit better but um I don't know it, the the war room stuff where they're like around computers and talking where Tony Goldwyn is playing this guy from the airline who's trying to figure out how do we get these guys out of here um <laughs> 
it's kind of bizarre, but this movie like plays it straight. It could have been so much goofier, like a money plan kind of thing. I haven't seen money plane, but I'm aware of how ridiculous it is. Um, this isn't that it wants to, it wants to be more serious. And I think if it had like double the budget, it would have been a bigger Gerard Butler picture, but this feels like something that was made for like at best, like $50 million. And it's just like, let's get this cast together. Let's shoot this thing. We've got a plane. We can make it work. (laughs) Um, little things here and there about like the plausibility of the scenario kind of bothered me, but not enough that I really hated the movie for what it was trying to do. I think it was pretty successful. Um, is this a great movie? No. Did I find it obnoxious? No. I found it mostly entertaining. It it had it had an it had an idea of what it wanted to do for a movie and what it wanted to offer and plain is that. I did give it two and a half stars. I just can't quite recommend it because you know, you could have done other things with this. It could have been a little tighter. It doesn't have much of a script, but um I think for a Gerard Butler movie that is under two hours and really not that complex, it's it's fine. It's all right. It sort of works. I, I, I mean, I, I frankly don't watch movies like this often because they just don't appeal to me. But something about the movie just being called Plain, maybe that's a brilliant, brilliant marketing scheme right there. You just call it Plain and people are just like, whoa, it's Plain. <laughs> feels like such a like internet kind of thing where you just see the movie because of its ridiculous title but uh short and simple uh plane is plane is fine plane's all right i do wonder has this played on any airplanes <laughs> um and yeah i think gerard butler he's fine i i haven't seen many of his movies like i haven't seen i haven't seen any of the olympus has fallen uh, Lon- london has fallen Movies, I haven't seen those. No, I haven't seen a lot of his action movies, but I'm looking through his filmography and it turns out I have seen him in, well, I saw 300. I saw The Phantom of the Opera. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies. I don't remember him being in Tomorrow Never Dies, but apparently he is. Um, And I, yeah, uh, Gerard Butler, he, he, he doesn't annoy me, but I know other people are not fans. So that's plain. As I said, two and a half stars from me. It's uh. It is what it is. Um, (laughs) Okay, this was not the movie I was hoping to end the podcast on. (laughs) Because this is an odd one. This is a movie I don't think anybody's going to watch, despite me talking about it. Um, (laughs) I had hoped that I might be able to go see a movie today. I had something in mind I wanted to go see. But stuff just didn't really pan out. So I didn't add it to this episode, because obviously I didn't go. Uh, But I am going to talk to you now about the movie Almost You from 1985, directed by Adam Brooks. The tagline is a traumatic comedy. Alex and Erica Boyer are a young couple in crisis. Alex, despite loving his wife, beautiful home, and a high-paying job, feels trapped when Erica has an accident that leaves her temporarily confined to a wheelchair and requiring the services of a private nurse, the beautiful Lisa entered, enters the Boyers' lives. A complicated situation develops as Alex sees Lisa as a cure for his own problems, as well as his wife's. So I kind of stumbled upon this movie um, because everybody's been talking about After Hours coming out on the Criterion Collection, the 4K uh Blu-ray just came out, and I love After Hours. It's a great movie, directed by Scorsese. It also stars Griffin Dunn, who 
as I mentioned before, is in Who's That Girl? So people were talking about After Hours, and I clicked onto Griffin Dunn's uh, filmography, and I was like, oh, yeah, he was just in Who's That Girl, which I just watched. And then I saw that he was in this movie from 1985. So this also, I was like, hmm, this takes place in 1985, 80s, New York City. Um, maybe I should give this a shot. I saw that it was on Tubi. Now, when I see the Tubi thing for streaming, I'm very enticed. I'm very much like, is this a lost movie that just Tubi miraculously has? And it kind of feels like that. Um, <laughs> so this, this family, uh, family, this couple, I mean, family, yeah. Uh, they live in New York City and uh, Brooke Adams plays the wife, Erica, and she's, she's an interesting, interestingly written character. She's a little bit feisty and like she kind of she kind of pokes her husband here and there with humor and has a certain way she goes about things and uh she's a she's an she's an interesting like like why would you why would you write a woman like that like I'm partially like okay with it but also like I don't know there's some something weird going on here like are you setting up the um sort of the reasoning for the husband to maybe stray because this character seems to be a little at odds with her husband and not, they don't, they don't have like the best dynamic together. Um, it was weird. Um, (laughs) Alex played by Griffin Dunn, almost the same scenario as who's that girl where he's got someone (laughs) who he is, you know, in a relationship with, and then someone else comes along and he works for a business and he's not necessarily happy with how things are going. Um, they are very much yuppies in some ways living in New York city. Uh, when, uh, Alex gets injured, Oh, sorry. Erica gets injured. Uh, Alex is like trying to take care of his wife and not really doing a great job. She is confined to a wheelchair and is using crutches, but she's, she's on the mend. So when this woman shows up to be basically the physical therapist at home on call kind of thing for the wife, um, I never really bought that this woman was the physical therapist. Um, she's played by Karen Young. Now, as much as I didn't really believe her profession, um, this movie does a good job of really fleshing her out as a character outside of this situation between the, the Boyers. Um, we learned that this character, Karen Young's playing, um, gosh, what was her name? I just said her name, Lisa, Lisa. So we learned that Lisa herself like has problems in her relationship at home with her boyfriend and her boyfriend's an actor. Um, and they don't like get along very well. And it's like, is this over? Is this still happening? And it's like, why won't you support me and go to my play? And it's like, you know, whatever bullshit is happening in our lives. Blah, blah, blah. This movie is like very, very odd and different. And I really appreciate that about it and how it talks about these relationships between these people as terrible as they can be at times, because, um, I think people who are flawed and people who are having problems and are not necessarily sugarcoating things make for an interesting movie. Now, the weird thing that happens though, is that, uh, the, uh, boyfriend to Lisa, she, he, uh, God, what was his name? Was his name David? Yeah, David. He ends up like stalking Alex when he sees him talking to Lisa outside of the apartment after she's been over to help his wife. And he ends up applying for a job in Alex's uh, workplace, in his, his office, 
Um, and he gets the job and then he's like so impressed with him. Alex goes ahead and says, Hey, do you want to come to this dinner party my wife's having? And then he ends up taking a different woman when Lisa is there. So it's like this, this whole triangle of, you know, that's Lisa's boyfriend, but he, he brings another woman and it's all the conflict of that. And Lisa's like falling for Alex and Alex is falling for Lisa, but it's like, it's all this stuff is happening. And it, they have, like, a crappy dinner one night in the apartment. <laughs> it's a messy movie. Like, whoa. Nobody is, like, batting a thousand here with, like, being a great character and a great person. But I think that's what made me really like the movie. It was such a strange play of people and their problems and trying to figure things out. And nobody's great. They're all kind of terrible. But... It had a good ending. I liked where it tried to say something about people just figuring things out. And yeah, maybe it's just they had a crappy couple days and, you know, everybody was at odds with each other. But, you know, things happen. People move on. You know, maybe relationships fall apart. Maybe they don't. And that was that was interesting for me when it came to this movie. Now, I'm not saying this is like a glowing review of this movie because it has some problems. Like some of the things that happen, I'm just, I mean, this is another movie where a man like tries to find a reason to sleep with a woman who is not his wife. And that's not quite admirable. But then again, nobody in this movie is really perfect. As I said, um, I give this movie three stars. It was interesting. It was different. Uh, kind of had shades of like, okay, not to bring up Woody Allen again, little shades of that. But I think you get that inherently when you have a drama where they have adults with conflicts and issues and it's in New York city and they're in a New York city apartment. I mean, that's kind of the look of a lot of Woody Allen movies, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It wasn't so bad. I gave it three stars. It was like a movie that I do not regret watching at all. So that's almost you from 1985 directed by Adam Brooks. And I have to say, if you go on Tubi or Letterboxd and you look at the poster that they have for this movie, that's not what's happening. (laughs) It looks like there's a menage a trois actually happening. What happens in that scene, gonna go ahead and spoil it. Um, Erica, who is in the center, who's played by Brooke Adams, she, like, is a falling asleep. She's, like, had a night. She's done too much, and she's passed out. And so because Lisa has been working with her as a therapist and such, and Alex is her husband... well Erica's husband yeah they're helping her get into bed it's not it's not a menage a trois it's not (laughs) bad poster design and there's no way to select another poster because that's a thing that letterbox lets you do now but yeah I I do recommend almost you three stars you can watch it on Tubi one of those random Tubi movies you might discover and might love but you might also hate it because let me tell you nobody in this movie is great um but that is that is all I have to say that is all for movies I am explaining that was a little hairy to get through but yeah uh movies I have seen up through this point in July and uh so I I do have to mention, um, you folks might know what movies are coming out soon, thanks to all the, all the stuff in the news about a certain movie about a doll and a certain movie about a bomb, and yes, I'm gonna go see those movies, um, I still have it in my mind that I'm gonna see Indiana Jones, don't worry about it, I'm hoping that is the next episode, is me talking about Indiana Jones and other stuff, um, just because I would love to talk about the doll and the bomb movie in the same episode, and, that's a big weekend. But um, 
yeah, that's that's what I have to say now. Um, the other big blockbuster movie that actually just came out in theaters, um, <laughs> I'll be frank and say I don't have any plans to see it just because I'm not really a fan of the series. The movies haven't quite worked for me and um, just don't look for that review. That is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I'm sorry, just not not for me, um, but I uh, I do have other movies on my mind to watch, and of course I've got my Netflix DVDs that I'm getting through, so I thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to follow on Twitter, yes, we're still on Twitter, Cinema5K is the handle, and also Instagram the same, Cinema5K, and if you have any questions would like to send an email, send it to Cinema5KPod at gmail.com, and the Twitter also has links to things like the letterbox but i'm mallory i thank you so much for listening to this podcast and i hope you enjoyed it uh i will talk to you soon Alrighty, bye